Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. The Final Four is set in basketball's playoffs, and BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for the conference finals. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you all have decided to join us however and whenever it is you may choose to do so. It is Monday May 22nd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We are going to be joined later on in the show by our friend Adam Armbrecht. You've heard him before. He is the host of the Locked On Brooklyn Nets podcast. He has been a friend of ours for about a year now. He's been doing shows ever since last year's playoffs, and Adam was kind enough to join me for about 20 minutes today, chat a lot about the Heat and Celtics series, the Celtics rotational minutes, and heads up, we recorded it before the Grant Williams-Jimmy Butler fight on Friday, but nonetheless, a lot of good stuff talking about rotations for the Boston Celtics, what an ideal series looks like for Joe Missoula. It's... Very, very interesting, and we're going to talk a lot of Heat Celtics later on in the show. First off, let's take the time to address the Nuggets and the Lakers. Because again, we're going to do Heat Celtics later on in the show. Today, let's talk about Nuggets and the Lakers. Because over the weekend, the Los Angeles Lakers dropped to down 0-3 against the Denver Nuggets. We're hoping to have our friend Gage Bridgeford join us later on in the week to talk some Denver Nuggets who might be in the NBA Finals by that point. There's a pretty good chance they'll be in the NBA Finals because if Denver doesn't close out the series with a sweep on the Lakers' home floor in Game 4 tonight, it'll happen on Wednesday in Denver when they officially close out the Lakers. And we got a lot riding on this game tonight because we don't place money on bets. We don't put... And I mean, we personally don't gamble. You should head over to Bet Online Sportsbook if you feel so inclined to gamble on sports and use the promo code Believe to get a fifty percent welcome bonus. But we don't put money on stuff. But the one thing I really like being is right when I go out on a limb. And for some reason, everyone was out here disrespecting the Denver Nuggets. 
told y'all that, yes, the Western Conference is wide open, except it's wide open for the second spot in the Conference Finals. The first spot in the Conference Finals is going to Denver, and we said Denver was going to go 12-3 and in the Western Conference playoffs and win the West without ever facing elimination game. And Denver is right now 11-3 and in the Western Conference playoffs with a chance to beat the Lakers. And by the way, the point is mute. If they lose Game 4 to the Lakers and win Game 5, it means they were one Nikola Jokic free throw against the Minnesota Timberwolves in a meaningless Game 4 from being 12-3 and and making it to the NBA Finals. I can live with that being the result because the Denver Nuggets have run through the Western Conference. They have consistently showed that they are the best team in the West. They have been the best team in the West all year. And if you give competence to maybe the greatest passing center in the history of the NBA, a should-be three-time MVP, if you give that support to Nikola Jokic, you will have a team capable of winning a championship. And the Denver Nuggets have proven, because Jamal Murray is playing in the playoffs for the first time since the bubble, he missed the last two playoff runs with a torn ACL because Michael Porter Jr. returned from a back injury that kept him out of the 2022 playoffs, because Aaron Gordon, with that support, has has been a better player than at any point in his career, giving you defense and working from wing to inside, running baseline for the Nuggets' offense because they traded for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and he's been a go-to shooter off the wing for Denver because of what Bruce Brown has done and Christian Brown, even though Christian Brown spells his name B-R-O-U-N. Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, coming off the bench, giving them defense in minutes, everything that they have done for Denver to provide a support system around Nikola Jokic has put them in a position where they are going to go to the NBA Finals without ever facing elimination game, which we can say confidently, they ran through the Western Conference. Yes, they had to play the 7-8 and eight seed in order to get there. Maybe if they had played Golden State, it would have looked different. Maybe if they had played my Sacramento Kings, light the beam, we're out here in Sacramento. Maybe if they had played the Sacramento Kings, then it might have been different. The Denver Nuggets ran through the Western Conference with relative ease, and even in their losses, they looked incredibly impressive. In the one loss to Minnesota, Anthony Edwards had his best game of the series. And still, if Jokic had hit a free throw at the end, they would have come back from down 12 with three minutes to go to win that game against Minnesota. In the first loss against Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns shot over 60% from the field, and beat the Denver Nuggets. Devin Booker had a 47-point game shooting over 70% from the field. And then in Game 4 of that series, Nikola Jokic had 53 points. The Nuggets shot 56% from the field and still lost to the Phoenix Suns because Devin Booker and Kevin Durant went supernova. And then the Denver Nuggets came out in Game 5 and beat them. And in Game 6... They jumped out to a 20-point lead and established that they were clearly the better team than a Phoenix Suns team without Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, and I don't think having Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton would have saved them from the ass-whooping that they would have endured in that Game 6 in Phoenix. I say all of this to bring up this point. Denver 
is a championship contender. We have been saying Denver is a championship contender since February. Too many times I've been wrong, but I guess being right takes too long. Because we stayed tried and true for three months. February 20th was when we put out the podcast. Why all of the nerd stats, all the data, all the team statistics showed that the Denver Nuggets were clear and above the rest of the Western Conference. And this was before everything that happened with John Morant that derailed the Memphis Grizzlies season. Denver was clear and above favorites in the Western Conference. It was a mix of teams below them. But five of the six best teams in the NBA happened to be in the East. And that didn't even include the Miami Heat at the time, who are looking like they're about to go to the NBA Finals. And the Denver Nuggets, clear and above in the Western Conference, have showed that they are clear and above in the Western Conference. Jamal Murray, in Game 2, scored 23 points in the fourth quarter. And Denver went on a... 41 to 26 run to end the game when they were losing to the Lakers in the third quarter. They outscored the Lakers by 15 points. Jamal Murray hit three three pointers in the fourth quarter. Michael Porter Jr. hit a clutch three pointer late in the game. Jokic got to the free throw line, which is something that didn't happen early in the game and really didn't happen all that much in game three either. I mean, again, it was the Jamal Murray show that ended up being the difference at the end of the game for the Lakers. But when you look at the numbers for the Denver Nuggets, uh, just pulling it up just to double-check myself real quick, the Lakers ended up... So the Nuggets were up at the end of... Jokic ended up getting to the free-throw line seven times. As a team, the Denver Nuggets got to the free-throw line only 19 times compared to the Lakers... 29 in that game and Jokic ended up being a plus 15 Jamal Murray plus 18 that was kind of the difference in the game for them but what was so fascinating was them getting to the free throw line Jamal Murray having another big fourth quarter and playing 42 minutes while taking 29 shots which I don't think he took that many shots in game two of the series nonetheless this game where it was kind of like they needed him at the end to, to pull away Jamal Murray in game two had 24 shots. Yeah, so in that crazy game four, or sorry, that crazy game two, Jamal Murray didn't even have as many three-pointer, or didn't have as many shots from the field or three-point attempts as he had in that game. It was Jamal Murray volume shooter, and while it wasn't the most efficient way for the Nuggets to get a victory, they still scored 35 points in the fourth quarter, and Jamal Murray going supernova was exactly what they needed, given that Nikola Jokic was, for the game, 24 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. Again, like we take Jokic for granted sometimes, and we talked about this after Game 1. I don't want to see these Jokic performances and just take them for granted, because... 24, 8, and 6 while being plus 15 in a game that you were tied in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't want to undersell just how impressive that is for Nikola Jokic to put together. Yes, Jamal Murray was the best player on the floor in game three for the Denver Nuggets, but I don't want to undersell like that incredible performance. In a night where Jokic isn't putting up 35 or having 20 rebounds or having 15 assists or some ridiculous stat line, Jamal Murray taking 29 shots was their best course of action. And while it might not be good enough to, well, maybe it will be good enough to beat the Miami Heat, I guess 
I didn't really think that far through it, but it was good enough to beat this Laker team because this Laker team did not have it at the end. LeBron hit a few three-pointers, which is, again, we talked about how ridiculous LeBron's stat line was through the first two games of the series. I guess we did that on local radio. We didn't talk about it on this podcast. LeBron, through two games in the series, had 49 points, 21 rebounds, 19 assists, so basically a triple-double through two games, was shooting 72% from two-point range on 25 shots and was 0% from three-point land on 10 shots, which averaged out to 52%, which is about LeBron's average from the field, but it was just remarkable that it was 72% from two-point range, which is like better than DeAndre Ayton, who caught lobs most of the time. 20, 72% from two-point range, 0% from three-point range. In the last game, he was 33% from three-point range. The only problem was he was just 50% from two-point range, and the Lakers ended up losing by a grand total of 11 points. 11 points that they might have been able to get had A, LeBron James been able to get to the free-throw line, and... Had D'Angelo Russell not gone one for eight from the field and finished with three points on the game. Just, they had nothing. They had a whole lot of nothing. Dennis Schroeder played 25 minutes and had five points. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was rough for the Lakers. And now the Lakers are going to go home because, like I said a second ago, Jamal Murray taking, five, uh, taking 29 shots in an inefficient offense. Because, again, Jamal Murray shot... 50% from the field, but it was an inefficient way to get to 37 points with 29 shots. Is good enough to win because he didn't go 10 for 29. Like, he wasn't atrociously bad and kept the Lakers in the game with D'Angelo Russell having three points in 29 minutes or Dennis Schroeder having two points in 25 minutes. Like, Dennis Schroeder and D'Angelo Russell were just out here giving them nothing, and Denver could have won that game by like 25 points if Jamal Murray and Jokic distribute a bit more and the offense doesn't solely run through Jamal Murray. But again, offense running through Jamal Murray was all they needed to win that game. He was the highest plus minus on the floor for the Nuggets and ended up with 37 points a playoff high for himself. So Denver's going to the NBA Finals. And it's been a remarkable run for them to get there. We'll do the Laker eulogy later this week. But I just found it so remarkable that Denver got themselves into this position by dominating the Lakers. And we might come back on Wednesday talking about how the Los Angeles Lakers got swept by the Nuggets. And the Nuggets proved me loud right by going 12-3 and and advancing to the NBA Finals. If the Nuggets win this Game 4 tonight, we are going to be standing on the rooftops celebrating and cheering the incredible performance. By the way, just as we get ready to talk about Adam Armbrecht, there is one thing that I wanted to share with you all, and it's something that happened in Game 2 of this game that I thought was absolutely impeccable. So to set the stage, it's the fourth quarter of Game 2. This was on Thursday. The Lakers are up by three at the end of the third quarter. The Nuggets tie the game, and Rui Hachimura hits two free throws. So it's 83-81 to Lakers, with about 10 minutes left to play in the game. 
Then Jamal Murray comes down and hits a three-pointer. Crowd goes crazy. Then there's a couple missed possessions. Jamal Murray hits another three-pointer. Now the Nuggets are up by five. Next possession, Lakers miss. Nuggets come down. Bruce Brown hits a three-pointer. Just crowd is electric. Electric. After Bruce Brown buries that three-pointer. And then they foul Anthony Davis on the other end of the floor. Because the Lakers go into the strategy of, we got to get a bucket, throw the ball to Anthony, let's see if he can get us a bucket. Because Anthony Davis is the, we need a bucket, go get us a bucket guy. Fouled Anthony Davis, hits one out of two free throws. Okay, so the Nuggets are on a 9-1 run. Next possession, Michael Porter Jr. gets the ball, feeds a scoop to Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray dribbles a couple times, pulls up from three-pointer, and buries it. And Jamal Murray, now with the Nuggets up nine points in the midst of a 12-1 run in which they've hit only three-pointers on the 12-1 run, Jamal Murray turns his head to the right and yells, bang, at Mike Breen, which is just badass. Oh, and by the way, next possession after he yells, bang, at Mike Breen, Jamal Murray steals the ball from Anthony Davis. Nuggets run their set offense. 12 seconds later, Jokic gets the ball, kicks it to Michael Porter on the wing, buries a fifth straight three-pointer, and the Lakers call timeout. It's a 15-to-1 run, and Denver's up 12, and the game is basically over at this point. They go from down 83-81 to to up 96-84. And again, Jamal Murray, badass, yelling bang at Mike Breen as he runs down the floor. And so to wrap up this segment and lead us into our conversation with Adam Armbrecht, I just want to play the clip on the air of Jamal Murray yelling bang at Mike Breen, and then I want to play, I want to play Jamal Murray after the game talking about yelling bang at Mike Breen after hitting what in hindsight we could go on to say was pretty much a dagger shot on the Lakers in the midst of a 15-1 to Nuggets run where they hit five consecutive three-pointers. Back to Murray, another three-pointer. It's good! Jamal Murray red hot! And Mike, you didn't see this, but Jamal Murray just looked over here and said, bang. When I was little, I used to, you know, count down the seconds in, in the, of the shot clock and, and uh, make the shot and... Uh, talk like Marv Albert and uh, talk like Mike Green, you know what I'm saying? Just, just just the imagination running as a kid. So, you know, when you get in that moment and, you know, you see your fam in the crowd, you see your little brother, um, you see Mike Green there, you know, you see all these little reminders. They all pay dividends and uh, uh, make that moment a little more special. All right. Joining us today on the show, good friend of mine, good friend of the Take It Easy podcast. It is Adam Armbrecht. You can check him out on the Locked On Brooklyn Nets podcast and you can also check out his sub stack he writes about the new york giants and the new jersey devils also some brooklyn nets stuff uh adam thank you for hopping on today i'm glad to catch up with you well of course man listen the uh the brooklyn nets are, are not making moves in the playoffs right now but it doesn't mean it isn't still an exciting time uh for the nba overall with the eastern and western conference finals underway absolutely and the nets have obviously had a crazy few months and the season coming to an end with a four-game sweep but Now the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat are the two teams left standing in the Eastern Conference. What have you made of the series so far? 
Yeah, I mean, we have game number two coming up here, obviously. Um, it, it, it's just interesting, frankly, the Miami Heat, right? They are a team that is the sum of their parts that combined with playoff Jimmy. Like Jimmy Butler continues to be that player that seems to have another level and another gear that he can go to. The hard thing from a Boston standpoint, and obviously they have a chance here to tie the series up. They they expect to win those home games. But throughout these playoffs, they have kind of had these, these on-off games where they need to look a little bit out of sync. They need to look a little sloppy. And then they bounce back and they give you the big performances and players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown put in the type of efforts you expect, including a historic one uh, in the previous round from Jason Tatum. So the more talented team is Boston, but you could have said that in a lot of these series along the way for Miami, they just keep finding a way to win individual matchups and win collectively as a team. It's been interesting to watch Miami play like that. Cause in game one, I think five different players had 15 points for the heat and in the, I think it was game four against the Knicks. They didn't have a player who scored more than 20 points, and yet they were still only down three with, I think, five minutes left in that game that they ended up losing. I think that was game five in New York, actually. But Miami's just been this super fascinating team. And uh, how much of it is Jimmy Butler? How much of it is Bam Adebayo having one of the best playoffs he's had? What do you make of what they've done leading up to this point? Yeah, I mean, you can look at the fact, you know, Kyle Lowry, obviously championship level player. He's he's not the same player that he once was, but he moves into a bench role and comes in, as you mentioned here, in that game number one against Boston, 15 points off the bench for him. You have Martin kicking in 15 points off the bench, both of them combining to go six to 12 from beyond the arc. So you have certainly a level of depth there. You don't really look at Zeller or Robinson in terms of their contributions, but they have experience coming in off the bench and reliability and consistency. Even a player, they insert Kevin Love, right? The discarded player coming off of Cleveland. We understand the money was too rich there. Miami just picks them up. It's only 16 minutes, but they're incredibly productive 16 minutes, kicking in eight points. You mentioned Adebayo. Um, You know, this is an important kind of run here, this playoff run for him in terms of identifying where he truly is in the hierarchy of, of some of the most talented players in the NBA. He has made his claim here on both ends of the floor. I think that there's ways that he needs to be even more productive going forward in this series as Boston adjusts. But when you look at 37 minutes and a productive 20-point line, the eight rebounds isn't enough. Um, you know, I don't think at least to start this series off, he's going to need to be even more for them when it comes to the boards. Uh, but again, multiple 15-point scorers in Vincent and in Struess, right? So the question I have in this series when it comes to Miami is can they sustain that perimeter shooting? Because when you go 16 to 31 from beyond the arc, you're over almost 52%, right? You cannot rely on that game over game here, especially when you look at the free throw disparity. So when we talk about what got them that first game one victory and what they need to do going forward, it's just going to be finding a way to attack in the paint with more consistency because five free throw attempts for Adebayo in game one is not necessarily going to be a recipe for success and for advancing to the NBA finals again. The Boston Celtics are going to push back on that a little bit. Well, yeah, you mentioned Boston Celtics adjustments a second ago. What do you think about what they've done in game one? doesn't even have to be game two. It could be later on in the series. How do you think Boston will adjust or maybe offensively, defensively, whatever you see fit? Yeah, I mean, listen, when you look at the box score again, there's things beyond the numbers, right? A 30-point night for Tatum, 22 for Brown. You would think that that's a good level of production. 
they even also got productivity coming off the bench there in Brogdon, another not dissimilar to Kyle Lowry, just in terms of adjusting your expectations of what your role is, especially when it comes to playoff basketball. The one thing I mentioned there in Miami, when you talk about a guy like Robinson, who only came in for seven minutes, but I think six of those overlapped with Jason Tatum and Tatum is a guy that wants to hunt the weak matchups out there on the floor. He did not get to that matchup with consistency. So there's going to be times and more often than not, especially in Tatum's case, where he can get on to the plus matchup on the defense for Miami and then he has to attack has to be able to lean into that and really dominate. He, he got to the line 11 times. There's not much more that you can do than, than that. Jalen Brown didn't attack in the paint with the same level of aggression either. They are not a perfect perimeter shooting team. So, you know, their subpar three-point percentage, you're going to probably get something similar to that going forward in the series. But they probably have to find a way to push Marcus Smart Got to get him closer to 40 minutes than the 30, 40 played in game number one. You're not going to survive without him playing max minutes. And it probably comes at the cost of Pritchard coming in for 12, right? So they're going to shrink the rotations a little bit. But, you know, on paper, the Boston Celtics have the higher talent level here. So it's really just about if they're going to turn it on and stay locked in for the full 48, you worry a little bit about Horford and how consistent and productive he can be at his age. So there, there are some matchups here that, um, can get exposed, you're going to look at a guy like Time Lord Williams to continue kind of his productivity. The seven rebounds, got to be double digits for him. So one-on-one matchups for my uh, for Boston, excuse me, matter a lot more here, but it starts with Tatum. It starts with Jalen Brown. They've got to give you 60-plus points consistently game to game. 52, 55, it's, it's not going to be enough with a complete game that Miami plays. In an ideal world for Joe Missoula and the Celtics, how many players would be playing in the rotation at this point? Uh, you're not going any. Yeah, I mean, if I said seven, that's probably too much, um, even though you got some you know, really heavy minutes and production out of Brogdon. Can you play Robert Williams, you know, 26 minutes? Can you play him 30 plus? Can he give you that consistency and not get exposed maybe at times? I think he'd prefer to shrink it down to six and again, just push everybody to be playing more minutes. Six more for Marcus Smart has to play 40. Probably got to go 42, 44, 45 minutes for Tatum and Brown if necessary. And you just wipe away Pritchard automatically. Uh, I think White, the defensive value there as well, is good for him. Uh, but in the switching matchups, again, he can get you know some opportunities where Miami can expose the size advantage there. So if you could shrink it down and just play with Brogdon and then even reduce White's minutes a little bit, the six borderline seven is as far as you want to go. If you're the Celtics, knowing again that, that your matchups are plus, it's just you have to win them and you really can't let up a possession here. And you've seen that from Miami, not just in this first game. You've seen it all playoffs long. One of their values is just having the veterans, having a little bit of that extra depth that you can overexpose some of those rotations for the opposition. It's so interesting that Boston right in front of our eyes and really just in the last like 15 months since they were playing Brooklyn in the first round last year or mm -hmm. coming on in 2022, they went from being this super deep team to now there's barely six people you can trust on the floor for Boston. Yeah, but you know, and that's that that's a part of what happens, whether it's now I mean this is an NBA, you know, broader statement of contracts and you know, cap room and all those things, right? It all becomes a factor. I, again, 
there's not really a spot here where the lack of truly deep, you know, think you can think about a couple of things. I'll throw it like guys like Blake Griffin, right? This is someone who was once a Brooklyn net over the last couple of seasons. And when you pick up a player like that, you think about regular season minutes and we used to refer to them as inning eaters, right? You need somebody that can go out there, but they're not going to be productive for you in the playoff in the playoffs. So all of the sudden you have to think about your top end talent and knowing how heavily you're going to, have to lean into them. It is interesting if you want to make the co- the comparison when Adoku was the head coach and then they made it to the finals and he gets dismissed for obvious reasons. What are the small X's and O's adjustments here that try to get made? Because throughout these NBA playoffs, no one has been better and no one's been better over the last several years than Eric Spolstra, right? And that's, I think, what Miami is built on right now. But if you don't have a deep enough bench you know if you don't have that extra matchup to go to there really isn't another button you can push other than saying again my superstars need to be that much better and they have to outperform the likes of jimmy butler out bio and then deal with some of these other veteran players from miami that can kick in 10 to 15 points in the blink of an eye all everybody talked about was the lakers let's be honest that was a national narrative was hey the lakers are fine they're down 1-0 but they figured something out no one talked about nicola just had a historic performance He's got 13 triple-doubles now, third all-time. What he's doing is just incredible, but the narrative wasn't about the Nuggets. The narrative wasn't about Nikola. The narrative is about the Lakers and their adjustments. So, you know, you put that in your pipe, you smoke it, and you come back, and you know what? We're going to go up 2-0. We went a little long with that Heat and Celtics series. We just kind of got into some interesting stuff there. So just real quick, anything on Lakers Nuggets that you find interesting? Oh, yeah. And we can go. I, I got a few extra minutes if we need it because the Lakers. So it's interesting. The Miami uh, Boston series is about two stars, the tandem of Tatum and Brown and then the collective effort of Miami. Right. When you look at the Western Conference, this really is supposed to be the tandem matchup. You have the Joker, you have Jokic and you have Murray. And then it's supposed to be LeBron and A.D. But this has just been, and listen, it's two home games. You're supposed to win your home game. So there's no real necessarily concern level for the Lakers until you lose at home. But Nikola Djokic has been absolutely unstoppable across these first two games. Game number one, AD does a good job against him, but everything goes in. And even a less productive game number two from Djokic results in Jamal Murray going for 37 points. These two tandems. Denver is winning those matchups, right? LeBron James in the second game looks out of sync. We know he's 38 years old. Like there, there are certain factors here that are going to bring down that side of it. Um, This has been a fascinating one. And if I'm thinking about just like little key areas beyond the superstars here, D'Angelo Russell brought over at the deadline, you know, um, you, you get him obviously from Minnesota and it, it elevates, it changes the complexion of this team along with all the other moves, getting Vanderbilt, getting Hachimura, who's been productive over these first two games too. But D'Angelo Russell has been bad across the first two games of this series. It's not a good matchup for him. Um, he can get lost in hero ball sometimes, but if the Lakers are going to have consistency and have a chance to get back into this one, you cannot have Russell coming in here playing 33, 26 minutes going a combined seven of 19 from the field under 40% disastrous from beyond the arc and not impacting the game in the same way as terms of a facilitator for the Lakers. And I'm long winded here, but you obviously do have Anthony Davis, LeBron James. They're going to be able to be catalyst on the offensive end, but the Lakers have had a lot of things work for them in the first two games and they're down Oh two. Right. And, and there's this world where when you look at the final line from the Joker in game two, the scoring wasn't as as insane as it was in game number one, but the rebounds were there. The assists were there, right? Double-double in those categories. So I, I just, I don't see it, man. This seems like a series that's destined for 
the, uh, the the Nuggets to be going to the finals, and it just looks like finally Jokic, finally the Denver Nuggets are going to get across that threshold and get him an opportunity at championship. Yeah, that seems to be the way it's going. I feel good about that because I was in on the Denver Nuggets early. Not a humble brag at all, but I <laughs> I felt the Nuggets were going to run through the West. The D'Angelo Russell part is so interesting for the Lakers because similar to the Boston Celtics, the Lakers only have seven players they really trust in the rotation. And so, I mean, moving D'Angelo Russell to the bench, I know Rui Hachimura moved into the starting lineup and they were trying to mix and match with Reeves and LeBron and Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis's minutes, but like, I don't know how they really fix it. There, there is no personnel package. The Lakers can put in to counter the, the offensive shortcomings. And then defensively, they just, they are what they are at this point. Yeah. And and again, I mentioned AD there in the matchup with Jokic. It's like, you can do it right. And then still lose that matchup. Murray creates his own other set of problems for the Lakers defensively. And, and some of the moves that the Lakers made, which turned around their season at the deadline, I mentioned guys like Vanderbilt. He doesn't have the same value. Like he has great regular season value. He does not hold the same value for you when it comes to deep playoff matchups. So some of the things that the Lakers were able to have success on during the regular season hasn't played out the same way. Um, and then you even think about a guy like Lonnie Walker, right? He has not been impact or per productive even in limited minutes coming off the bench here too uh you mentioned schroeder d'angelo russell right you're trying to flip between these guys same thing the matchups are difficult here the switching defenses are going to be a problem and while schroeder out of the two is the more scrappy defensive player neither one of them is going to be a plus matchup on that end of the floor so the lift becomes a little bit heavier here even though you know we're talking about depth and and bench players well i just listed all the bench players i mean hachimura has been productive but, but I I don't know if it, it hasn't moved the needle in terms of wins and losses, right? If he can maintain that, maybe it helps you. But you've had, and by the way, you've had Austin Reeves have a very, incredible first two games of this series, and it still hasn't mattered. So when you look at this series going forward, LeBron James needs to be LeBron James of, of every other deep playoff run. Uh, the Lakers, I think, are 0-3 in series uh, when they last three series when they've been down 0-2. They're going to be home for game number three, but... It, you know, it's going to be a bleak, I think, look looking series here, especially obviously if they lose this third game. It's all but over. I, I don't know. And it's funny, man, from an NBA perspective, this might be worth um, noting here as we close out. There are when you look at the NBA playoffs, Eastern and Western conferences, and you see all the high profile coaches that have been let go. There are a lot of teams that are incredibly disappointed and entering a potential area of chaos. As their off seasons move on, Philadelphia doesn't know what they're going to be doing. The Lakers, if they don't win, are going to be rethinking everything that they want to do moving forward. The Nuggets would have been in that category, but they're okay, right? Uh, the Knicks, even winning a series, still have now. Do we need to get rid of Julius Randle? What are we doing? Yeah, the Milwaukee. Suns don't get nearly as far as you expect, and now they're firing their head coach, right? And going to restructure everything. They want to jettison a guy like Chris Paul. It's just there is so much flux here for almost every team that doesn't check a very particular box, and that's the NBA Finals, and all four of these teams right now would certainly be in a reevaluation depending on how these series close out. And and I want to leave off with this because LeBron's just had some really crazy stats to start the Western Conference Finals where his totals through two games, 48 points, 21 rebounds, 19 assists, so almost a triple-double, four steals, three blocks, shooting over 50% from the field, 
but 0 for 10 from three. He's shooting 72% on two pointers and 0% on three pointers. Yeah. And and that's where the the stat lines, right? The box score tells you one thing, and then the eye test in the in-game tells you another. That facial expression he had on the clanking three that could have made a big difference. On the one hand, you go, hey, LeBron, you know, he's a guy that hits those shots. Ooh, like you got lucky, Denver. And on the other side, you watch that shot and you go, they didn't get lucky. It was an awful shot. And you haven't been able to make those so far this series. And he's going to have to, again, he has to check every single box for every single minute that he plays along with Anthony Davis for this team to be able to turn this one around. He is Adam Armbrecht. You can check out the Locked on Nets podcast if you follow him on Twitter. You can also find his Substack. He writes some good stuff about New York sports and general NBA, whatever else he finds interesting. So, uh, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's fun to catch up with you again, and uh, I'll talk to you again sometime soon. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.